to Next Woman Up. My name is Carly and this is my co-host Sarah. Hey guys, pretty special episode today. We're going to be talking with uh, our very own Carly Helfand, as well as a very special guest later, Coach Lori Locus, who is the assistant defensive line coach for the Bucks. So we're going to get into um, the inside scoop of what the Super Bowl was like for the people that were on the ground in Tampa. Yeah, I'm super excited for this episode. I'm really excited to share with you guys about my experience. And we're going to hear from Coach Lori Locus later. And she is such an awesome coach person. She has had some amazing experiences. You don't want to miss it. But first, we're going to start off our episode by talking about some of the current events in the sports world that have been going on. Um, We're going to touch on a few topics that have kind of been uh, trending this week and um, over the past few weeks as well. So the first thing that we're going to talk about is a little bit of a heavy topic, but Um, We're going to talk about the Deshaun Watson scandal. So Deshaun Watson is the Houston Texans quarterback. Um, To summarize what's going on with this scandal, um, he's the subject of 22 civil suits filed in March and April, which accuse him of coercive and lewd sexual behavior with uh, to that alleged sexual assault. He has not been charged criminally and his lawyer has denied the accusations. Um, prior to the scandal, Watson expressed that he wanted a trade from the Texans and would not play for them. And then he grew frustrated with the team's coaching and personnel moves. That is no longer an issue. He's just working on clearing his name at the moment. So trades have no longer been discussed at this point. Two of Watson's accusers have publicly identified themselves on April 6th. Um, the Texans have made comments that they take this very seriously And the NFL has also made comments that they will do investigations into this as well. Um, Nike suspended their contract with him and Beats by Dre said they will not renew their contract. Uh, We are assuming that more of his endorsements will probably drop as this continues. And the newest update as of Wednesday is that all 22 victims will have to publicly reveal their identity Um, Sarah and I just want to say up top that we take these topics very seriously. Um, Sexual assault is not a light topic, and we obviously are very against any behavior uh, in that realm. Um, But we do think that this is a topic that we we need to touch on and just discuss. Yeah, for Mm -hmm. sure. Thank you for that, Carly. Um, There's a lot of unknowns right now. There's a lot of question marks. I think the fact that the plaintiffs have to reveal their identities, I'm hoping to learn more about these women, what they have to say. Uh, For now, Carly and I are going to monitor the situation closely because um, it's not just about his career and what happened, but just the greater just a greater topic um, of women and protecting women and hearing them out. And I just really want to learn more about it. So we're going to monitor closely as we're still in the very early days of hearing and learning about this sensitive case right now. Right. At this moment, uh, we really can't form an opinion. We don't have all the facts um, right now and, you know, no one does. So we will continue to keep you guys updated. And when we find out more, you know, we'll talk about what we think might be next for Deshaun Watson and as this plays out. Uh, the next thing that we want to touch on is A-Rod buying a NBA team and a WNBA team. Yeah, um, a nice little franchise get. I felt, I honestly felt bad for him when he lost out on the Mets. Like, he was so disappointed. 
Yeah, well, Steve Cohen had more money. Um, <laughs> and as a Mets fan, he's spending all that money, and I'm very happy about it. Because <laughs> someone is finally spending money. A great season for you guys, hopefully. Hopefully. I mean, after inking Lindor to 300 plus million, let's hope so. Um, so with a he finalized a deal to purchase the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Lynx um, with Mark Lore, an e-commerce billionaire. So they're together close to purchasing the team in a deal that is expected to cost around $1.5 billion, according to ESPN. They would take over in 2023 with the current owner, Glenn Taylor, retaining full control of both teams for two years and agreeing to mentoring the two. Taylor purchased the Timberwolves in 1994 for $88 million. So $88 million. Wow. It's now going for $1.5 billion. That's crazy to think about. I remember I was talking to my dad about this two days ago, and he couldn't believe the number he heard because when he thinks about franchises worth that much money, what comes to mind for him is like the big markets like New York, LA. And I'm Thank like, you. You yeah. know, so it wasn't so that number is pretty shocking when you think about it, to be honest. Yeah, for Minnesota. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how do you think Aaron's gonna be as an owner? Um, you know, we haven't really seen him in that way before. Well, he has an incredible business mind. I've seen him on Shark Tank. I don't know if you watch that show or if you have <laughs> he knows how to command a room. I mean, he's had experience, he has connections. I think he's very well respected um now with his business mind. So I mean, I'm looking forward to it. And what really excited me was just hearing about um how excited he was about the links I feel like women's basketball is just a growing topic and I hope that that's something that they spend time on and continue to foster and grow yeah I totally agree I hope he does you know focus some time into that uh team for sure um next topic up is uh Stephen Curry becoming the Warriors all-time leading scorer Sarah our basketball line is he the end <laughs> Is he the best shooter that the NBA has ever seen? You know, there's the bias in me wants to say no, but I don't think I can. I don't think the numbers speak for themselves. And on Monday, you know, against the Nuggets, he had that 53-point outburst, that really historic night. And as Carly mentioned, he surpassed Wilt Chamberlain as the, the Warriors, you know, leading all-time scorer. And other than that, he's now one of four players who have had multiple seasons with three or more 50-plus point games since the 1976 merger. If you're wondering who the other players are, um, MJ, Kobe, and Harden are all in that little circle. So, I mean, he is incredible. Well, it's a good trivia tidbit <laughs> for your next party when we can all go to party again. <laughs> no, for sure. He is, he's so incredible to watch. I can't wait to, to see him play in person. I've never seen Curry play in person. That's one of the things I'd love to see. Yeah, that would be incredible um, yeah. for, sure. for sure. And the last topic we're going to touch on today is Julian Edelman retired after a 12-year career. Um, so people are now asking, um, is he going to be a Hall of Famer? Um, most people are saying no, and <laughs> we agree, but we're going to unpack it. So if you take a look at... The average Hall of Fame wide receiver stats, um, I got this from Pro Football Reference. Um, the statistics are the player would have an average, these stats for the average receiver. So it's the player would have one championship, um, 757 receptions, 
11,638 yards and 90 touchdowns. So then if we look at Edelman's numbers, um, he is a three-time Super Bowl champ, which is above the average. And he's a Super Bowl MVP, which I think people are really honing into when they're talking, when they, they believe that he's going to the Hall of Fame, because obviously that's like a very important accolade. And it's very rare that any position besides a quarterback would get an, a Super Bowl MVP. So that is super impressive. Um, but then when you look at his statistics, they fall much short of what an average Hall of Fame wide receiver um, recorded over their career. So 620 receptions versus 757, 6,822 yards versus the 11,638. Uh, and then 36 touchdowns versus the 90 touchdowns. And I think that's a big, big difference. Um, my question that I was asking myself is, would we even be having this conversation if he was a first round pick? Are his stats more impressive because he was picked in the seventh round? And can we use that as a qualification to get into the Hall of Fame? Now, I don't think so. I don't think, you know, you can use that as a tool to say, well, he deserves to be Hall of Fame because he was a seventh round pick and look how good he was. I, I don't think that's the way we can have those discussions. What do you think, yeah. Sarah? No, I would agree with that. And I think that something that people have been highlighting on Twitter, it's funny because this just happened and already the Twitter debates are like kind of wild mm -hmm. about like running rampant. But um, all in all, people are pointing to, you know, his postseason success for why he could get that gold jacket. But in his regular season career, I mean, he's never been named to a Pro Bowl, right, ever. That's and big. I, yeah, and I just think that, I mean, when I think of his most notable accomplishment, like winning Super Bowl MVP as a receiver is huge because only seven receivers, like, have won that title, that award. But at the end of the day, I don't think his regular season career is a Hall of Fame career. So we can't just count those that postseason success and say, okay, hey, he should be in the Hall of Fame because that's not how we look at other players when we talk about I agree. Players. And I, I always say this when having the Hall of Fame discussion about players, it's, it's the Hall of Fame. It's not the Hall of very good. <laughs> and we have to remember that, right? You know, not just anyone with a good career can get it. Like, it's, it's great to have a good career. That doesn't mean they need to be in the Hall of Fame. Exactly. That's, that's perfectly well said in my opinion. Right. So that's our current events for the week. Um, we will be highlighting current events each week. Um, if you guys want us to talk about something that you see in sports news, um, you can send us a DM on Instagram at next woman up podcast, or you can shoot us an email at next woman up pod at gmail.com. We would be happy to talk about um, any news or events that you see um, that you're more that you want to get a little more insight in. Um, so now on to our little Super Bowl, um, our little Super Bowl interview. So Sarah is going to ask me some questions about my experience. So let's let's get into it. I am so excited. First of all, I Carly, do you know when you get your ring? Because I am just counting on the days till you can. Well, play. I got sized, so we're getting close. That's awesome. That's so cool. Um, and so what I wanted to ask you was, and I think just to give people context, so obviously me and Carly have been close friends for a while. When she first got the job, I was like, you know, wow, what a cool opportunity. You're going to be working for the Bucks. Brady's going to be there. How crazy is that? Yeah, and just Brady's going to be there. <laughs> and then the Bucks start winning games, and they're starting, and I'm like, oh, my God. Like, can you imagine, like, like can you imagine Carly's first season in the league? The Bucks go to the Super Bowl. I'm like that, that would just be wild. And then 
it became a reality. When in the season did you start thinking, hey, this could be a reality, like we're going to take it all the way to the Super Bowl? So I, like, I knew we were good. And like, obviously those last few weeks we were dominating, um, especially that Detroit game. But, you know, it was a little bit of a mismatch. Um, I think we're not, I mean, and even the Redskins, like, they were a tough competitor. So I think when we, I really were like, we're going to the Super Bowl for sure. When we beat New Orleans, it was our third time playing them. They had beat us in week one. They had demolished us later in the season, which was terrible. And I was like, you know, if we can beat them. Like we're good. Like these, these guys have been like our crooks tonight. Like, we cannot seem to beat them and we're better than them. Um, and we re- like all phases started to play together. And I just, I knew like we can win a Super Bowl with this team after, you know, we were able to that third time, you know, go, go into new Orleans and beat them. That's incredible. I remember coach Lowe, um, she touched on the, um, the chemistry of the team and, and that was great. And, I think that you being on the floor and you being in the locker room, like what do you think the Bucks do exceptionally well behind the scenes that then had their success for the world to see? Sure. I think, um, you know, I think the whole idea of like camaraderie and really playing your heart out for your team. And I think this year it was more important than ever because you had to put your team first with what you were doing outside of work with all the COVID issues going on and it was really clear that like if you didn't you know you were not only working to keep yourself safe you're working to keep your whole team safe and if you didn't take that seriously like you could put the whole team at risk and just derail the season so I think it it's that you know wow we really value this team um and you know I do everything for you and I think that shows on the field and I that comes from BA and our coaching staff and they are really great coaches and they're good people. So it does show through. That's awesome. And I want to take it um, to the actual Super Bowl. So if you don't mind walking us through that day, um, what did you do that day when you entered? What was the crowd like? Who did you bring? Like, let's really get into it. Sure. Absolutely. So with it being COVID, there was like limited seating um, and as a scout, our work is kind of all done before game day. Normally we're in a box, but with it being Super Bowl, you know, seating was limited. So I was actually in the stands and it was, I was really excited for that because I had rarely been a fan at a Bucks game and to be able to be a fan in the Super Bowl was really exciting. So started the day off. Um, you know, drinking a little bit, getting excited. Um, we get to the stadium. Um, it is like, there's the fields that are normally for parking are completely like built up. There's bars, there's a stage. I'm pretty sure I heard Miley Cyrus singing from somewhere. Um, and it's, it's incredible. Like I just like, I'm shaking. I can't believe it. I brought my boyfriend with me. Um, yes. And he owes me for the rest of his life. Um, but if you're hearing this Carly is a legend and nothing will ever compare oh he knows he knows he knows (laughs) so um we're as we walk into the stadium and it's just like 
it's weird because like I'm like I'm so used to the stadium right I've been to so many games here like I know the stadium but then it's like it's a totally different vibe right um we get up to our seats and I just I cannot believe what's going on um and when the game starts I just kept freaking out just like we're at the Super Bowl we're at the Super Bowl we're at the fucking Super Bowl like oh my god and I have to say, I was not comfortable. Like, I know we had a lead, you know, a good lead, you know, pretty early in the game. I was not comfortable. I just kept thinking, this is Patrick Mahomes with all his weapons. You never know. And people are, like, celebrating. I'm like, we're not done yet. Like, we're not done yet. And that's how I am about games. Like, it's like, until the clock hits zero, we're not done. Anything can happen. Um, Because, you know, I've been scarred a few times you know yeah so that's that's incredible so when you are um sitting there like watching the game how does it feel because I know you said you had the fan experience being in the fans and I get that but you also have this other layer where you know the players you know the coaches you know how stressed they're so like as you're sitting there are you thinking about the plays and and their coaching staff and their strategy or did you try to just enjoy it as a fan so I try to enjoy it as a fan but it's also it's almost more frustrating when you know the guys when they like, you know, it's like when you yell at your TV when like a guy like fucks up or whatever, like you could have done something better and you yell at your TV. Well, it's like you don't know them. So it's like, oh, whatever. Like I know these guys, like I know how good they are. I'm like, why did you do that? You know? <laughs> yeah. So it's it's like funny because like I try to be a fan, but it's like you can't be completely. Yeah. Um so and it, it was fun. Um the, one of the guys that I scouted um, out of Wagner who made our team as an undrafted free agent got a sack in the Super Bowl. And that that's was like, amazing. I was like, oh my God, that's my guy, I found him. Um, and that was incredible. So that was an awesome experience, yeah. Yeah, that seems so fulfilling. And like when the game was over, did you just like rush onto the field immediately? Was an organized line? How yeah, that? so what happened was because of COVID, they limited the people on the field. And luckily, um, we have the best GM and uh, he made sure to get all of the scouts uh, passes to get on the field after the game. So with like there were other scouts and some of my coworkers who were also going down um, like around me in the section. And we were like at five minutes like we have to go down to the field and we like all looked at each other and we're like, we're doing this like we're winning, like it's going to happen. And like we're walking out, everyone's hugging each other like screaming it was incredible and like when we walked onto the field like I was crying um and I rarely cry yeah I right I know um and it was just so cool that um you know those pictures that you always see of like the player with the big shirt on over their shoulder pads like their kid on their shoulders yeah of course like I saw that in person like I saw that picture happening in person and I was like this is real like I'm seeing this for real it was it was an insane experience. And of course, you know, when I, when I was about to go down to the field, Kevin gave me a big hug and I looked at him. I said, you'll never be able to top this ring. <laughs> oh my God, poor Kevin. Now, did you get to touch the trophy? Yeah, there's a picture. That's okay. So we have evidence. We have evidence to prove. Oh yeah. Picture. I, I touched it. I put a hand on it. I made sure I touched that bad boy. Yeah. Okay. Let's just read it. The trophy has Carly's handprint. Somewhere on it. That's that is, that is correct. My fingerprint. <laughs> that is so unbelievable. Now getting into the fun part. Okay, not that that wasn't fun, but that was fun. That was definitely the fun part. But the fun but, part for Sarah. The fun part for me, guys. 
Um, let's get into the parade and the after parties, which everyone talked about first, but I, we need to hear the details because we're, we're not going to get this anywhere else. So I really sure, definitely. So the after party, we went after the game. So like it started at like 1230 at night. Um, so it was at the aquarium, um, in downtown Tampa, which was incredible. They like shut down the whole aquarium for us and, and we could still go see the fish. Which I was excited about because I love fish. You're- so you were excited about the fish, okay. And the touch tank. And the okay. So anyway, we got there and there's like full spread food, full bar, and then there are musical guests. Um, and we didn't know who, we weren't 100% sure who it was going to be. So right. at first I'm standing there with Kev and I like see like, a, like an entourage looking group of people walk by and I'm like, I was like, that's Quavo. Stop. That's just like right next to you. Quavo just walked behind you. <laughs> just him and the fish just hanging out. That's amazing. And of course, Kevin is freaking out too because he's around all these players, but I'm around right. all the time. And I was like, that's Quavo. And then I'm pretty sure I saw Winnie Harlow as well. She's one of my favorites. I, I know you freak out. Her. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm pretty sure I saw her. And then, you know, I'm not, I like, like, I was very happy to see Migos, but like, they're not my favorite. Ludacris. <laughs> you love Ludacris. Oh my God. And that was so much fun. So much yeah. fun. So much fun. It was incredible. Like yeah. I have some, like I've had one other night like this where like I compare it to an episode of Entourage. It's the only way I can describe how it felt. That's so funny. I've actually never seen that show. It's on my list, but. You need to that, watch it. You would love it. Okay. I, but, think that would, I, know, I think I would love it too. That's a memory you're going to have and cherish for the rest of your life. And that's incredible. And now take us to the, um, the boats and the partying. Like I saw it all yes. on TV. So guys, imagine like I'm watching this on my TV live, right? You see the party. And then I'm also getting text from Carly. It was surreal to even like get text from Carly. So I can only imagine physically being there. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. So when they told us like, oh yeah, you'll be on a boat, a boat parade, like, Okay, I like boats. Like boats are like I don't know what what kind of boat to expect. So we get there. There's like, a, like three big yachts for players, business side, and then we have scouting has their own boat, and it's like a catamaran, which is cool. And you walk inside. It's the boat is carpeted, full bar, fully catered. Wow. Second floor of the boat, DJ. Oh my god! And we just went up and down the river, and there were like fans in their own boats. Like wow. every time I was like, "Woo!" They like wooed back. Like, I felt famous. Like people are taking videos. <laughs> the sides of the river were like packed with people, like trying to see it. It was incredible. It was such a fun day. Um, and then after we got off the boat, and they like had like there's a little stage set up. So like um, players, BA, Jason, like they could all make a speech. Um, and then like, you know, you're hanging out with the players. It was just really fun. That's amazing. If you had to, I know it's a tough question, but if you had to pinpoint like your favorite part of the whole experience, like what would that be? That's, I think, a good place for us to end. Oh, that's a really good question. My favorite part of the whole experience would probably be um when we were about to walk onto the field and like 
my department was seated like all over the stadium. So when we like all came together and we're like hugging each other and like realizing together that what we had accomplished, um, that, that was an, just an awesome moment. And for, for, you know, our department and, you know, for our, our team. Yeah, no, for sure. And, I, and we kind of, if you guys watched episode one, me and Carly really could talk about this, but we said that when you're working for a team, there's really no closer bond and um, you're working, you know, holidays, weekends, countless hours, them, and just to see all their hard work come to fruition, like congratulations again to Carly and the scouting department and the whole organization, because it really was such a wonderful one to watch. And obviously, you know, Carly being part of it makes it that much more special for me and everyone that knows her. So thank you so much, Carly, for sharing um, the in-depth, you know, experience with all of us. Yeah, of course. Thanks, Sarah. Um, so we are going to get into our interview with Coach Lowe. So sit tight and we will see you guys there. Lori Locus, a Philadelphia native and football fanatic, is one of the NFL's first full-time female assistant coaches. A Super Bowl champ, a mother, and a pioneer in the industry, she's here to talk to us about the Bucks' legendary season. Hi, guys. How are you? Um, pleasure to be here. Yeah, we're so happy you're here, Coach. Um, so we wanted to get into, into talking with you today um, a little bit about your background, how you got to where you were, and we definitely want to highlight your Super Bowl experience, um, because gotcha. we definitely want to tell people about that. And we're super excited about it. <laughs> I appreciate that. Hopefully we won't bore people with this long, uh, arduous uh, journey, but uh, yeah, <laughs> ask away and let's, let's fill in the gaps. Sure, absolutely. So let's start out by, is there something that you can point to, a person, maybe a moment that made you fall in love with football? So I was thinking about that because I know, you know, with and I appreciate getting the questions ahead of time, just so I can think through a few things. Um, you know, nobody in my family was uh, a diehard football fan at all. My dad was a golfer. Uh, I was an only child, so I didn't have brothers or sisters to emulate. And all I remember, I was five and the Pittsburgh Steelers were on television. And there was something about them and something about that game. I don't even know who they were playing, but it was like, it clicked. And I became a fan when I was five years old. I had to have all of the gear. I had to have figurines. I had to have stuff from my room. I, I don't, I can't, I don't know what it was, but there was just something about that team and as far as like a person goes, I mean, um, my favorite player growing up was Jack Lambert. Uh, and, you know, when I would play football in the backyard with all of the boys, you know, everybody picked their favorite player to be. I was always Jack Lambert. So um, the way that he played the game, the aggressiveness, the, you know, the toothless grin, I think for whatever reason, that helped me as a fan fall in love with the game. And I kind of talk about this in a term of, of the journey. And I know that we'll get into this, but different aspects of football and, and my career have made me fall in love with the game in different ways. As a fan, I love the game. As a player, I love the game from a different aspect. And, and then as a coach, it just, 
it kind of completes the circle. So there's not one aspect right now of my job or of the game that I don't enjoy. And um, that's why I'm so happy to be here in Tampa. Yeah, definitely. Um, that's awesome. And yeah, Jack Lambert, the toothless smile is so iconic. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I know, you know, I know a little bit about you more than some of the listeners, but um, I know that you, you like played the game. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? Um, and like how you were able to suit up and play football and what that was like for you? Sure. I, um, I got a late start. I, like I said, I played throughout, you know, my, my childhood in the backyards and, you know, pick up games throughout the, the neighborhood and wherever there was a football, you know, I was also trying to like insert myself, uh, into playing. Um, that didn't always work sometimes because I'm a lot older than you guys. And, you know, every once in a while it was, you can't play because you're a girl kind of came up, but um, when I was about to turn 40, I saw an advertisement in the local Harrisburg paper, uh, that a women's team was coming to the area and they were holding tryouts. So, uh, NFL rule, full contact, full gear. And I was like, why not? You know, cause I'm, it's either like, you know, trying to like do things that nobody else can do or a little bit of stupidity or both, but, you know, I was raising two kids, I had a full-time job. Um, and football is an unforgiving sport, um, from a physical standpoint, like you really have to be in shape and, you know, kind of approached it. Like if I was going to do it, um, all of the players were going to be half my age and I just had to work harder and I loved it. Uh, it was working full time. It was getting the kids settled and then driving to practice and getting home at night to put them to bed and, you know, figuring out ways to coordinate their activities and not missing anything and making the games, you know, all up the uh, Eastern seaboard to, uh, to play with my teammates who are now my best friends. I mean, we've, we've been best friends since, you know, whatever, 16, 17 years ago now. And it's just, it's been a phenomenal thing for me when you can reconnect with a team sport, but there's just something about football that, is a bond that's been greater than any other sport that I've ever played. Yeah, that's absolutely incredible. I mean, to talk about like that, you, you know, just decided to pick it up. I mean, that's like super brave and that's really awesome. And you did talk a little bit about, you know, balancing that with like raising, you have two sons, right? Yes, I do. Raising yep, your two brave. sons. Yep. Yeah. Um, how, can you talk a little bit about how you balance that and, you know, the challenges that came along with, you know, wanting to pursue your dream, but also, of course, wanting to be a good mother to your sons? Oh, absolutely. So they will always be my priority, even though they're grown men now. Um, Alex is 30 uh, and will be 31 this year. Bryce is turning 24 in a couple of days uh, this week. So um, there was never a thought that uh, I was going to put them behind, you know, what I was doing. And I always was trying to make decisions. Decisions were being made that I never wanted to sacrifice their dream for mine. Right. So I had to continue to work full time. And I did pick up second jobs because there was a time when I was responsible for paying for Bryce's college tuition out of pocket. And I 
as much as I had that urge and that like push to like go forward and do other things, because at that time I was coaching, you know, just, I couldn't, I couldn't put his dream behind mine. So, um, you know, I think it's a timing issue. And thankfully, you know, a lot of the stuff that I went through helped to really shape my resolve and my stick to and my struggle really helped to put me like in a place where I know how to get along without a lot of extra, but the kids always came first. They will always come first. Um, you know, I feel like they're my why, because I want them to see that even though, you know, I was a little bit older in life, that anything is possible, you know, if they really have a passion for it. And um, I just want to leave a legacy for them. So they are really at the core of all that I do. And, you know, when they were younger, I mean, the balancing act was difficult. You know, I was tired a lot. <laughs> Can't say I had a lot of extra energy, but hopefully, you know, as they look back, they'll realize, you know, they didn't miss out on anything. They got to everything they needed, all the parties, all of the social stuff. Um, and I was just trying to grind when I could um, outside of that. Yeah, um, I mean, I think it's so amazing that you, you know, did like show your kids that like you can pursue your dream and like still like raise a family. I think it's like, I know for me, like I grew up with like a working mom and it, it's such like a great, um, you know, role model. Right. Um, and like, you know, I wouldn't, she, you know, sometimes says to me, you know, I wish I was around more. And I said, you know, but you created this like amazing, you know, the aspiration for me to look up to that I can, you know, you can do both. You don't have to sacrifice. Yep. Yep. Um, so you talked about, um, you know, how you started in the beginning of your career. How did you get into coaching and what has been your biggest challenge so far in your career? Sure. I, um, had I not gotten injured, I don't know that I'd be sitting here talking to you guys right now. I loved playing. <laughs> I absolutely loved playing football. And um, I suffered some injuries, you know, just like we all did, unfortunately. Um, and it's so much better now in a lot of the bigger cities, but Harrisburg really wasn't a big market. So we didn't get the training we didn't get the coaching we didn't get the equipment like we didn't get equipment until two weeks before our first game and you know we're grown women you know you're studying everything you think that you know it but there's nothing that relates directly to the movement once you have equipment on and learning to kind of navigate through playbooks and things so we were all very prone to injury because we just weren't we just weren't in a good place with a lot of stuff. So, you know, I had gotten some, some dings. I had a shoulder that got kind of torn apart early on, had that fixed, went right back to the field, um, blew through a, a, a calf muscle, same thing. You know, you just kind of like, you keep going. Um, but there was an injury with my knee um, and the surgery kind of got messed up. And that really put me out of commission uh, for two years. So I, hated it and I couldn't stand to be away from it. So I went to the women's team and started coaching there. And then um, because of the connections that I made, which I feel are very, very important, no matter where you're at, to always be looking for connections uh, to get better. 
uh, one of our local high school coaches at my alma mater uh, asked me to come in. And at the time I was a personal trainer and he asked me to come in and do the summer morning workouts. So at 5.30 in the morning, I would go over to the high school. I would put them through drills and they hated me and I loved every minute of it. And I was close to football. Um, yeah. And then that translated to, hey, why don't you come back to practice? You know, I know, you know, you coach D-line for the women's team you know, maybe you can pick up some tips. And then I never left for like nine years. Um, so those connections and those guys really kind of gave me a head start. And I think that the most important thing when you think about getting into this or any aspect of football is that hard work and your reputation and your work ethic will always speak louder for you than you do for yourself. So the guys, you know, kind of were like, this is going to like fade out because there, you know, there just hadn't been a woman that did it before. Um, and then we got, you know, good relationships, good working relationships. They were helping me. They were trying to mentor me. And then they were introducing me to other coaches and other programs. So that's how then I went into men's arena and I got hired there up in Allentown, Pennsylvania. And then from there, it went to men's semi-pro, which was out of Harrisburg, but we, played all over, um, again, like the Eastern seaboard type of region. Um, I've coached down in Woodbridge, Virginia for, um, for a men's semi-pro team. I've done showcase teams for Team America, um, and that was in Canada and Philly. And then, you know, at every level, there was somebody who became interested in the fact that, wow, like you really are serious about this. You really want to do this and really helped me. Um, and not because I had to ask, but because they saw that this was something that I really intently wanted to get better at. And they kept kind of stacking the deck for me. Um, and there was the internship with the Ravens uh, through the Bill Walsh Diversity Fellowship and the forums. I've attended a couple of the forums now uh, with Sam Rappaport, and that certainly propelled me um, and through that then was Birmingham uh, Iron with the AAF. And from there, now it's Tampa. Yeah, I See, think told you, long story, boring, <laughs> long story. <laughs> I don't think it's boring. I think where else are people going to get the inside scoop about this kind of um, transition in your career? And I know that you didn't always, you weren't always in football. I know that you were in insurance and other areas. Yep. So I think this is just so interesting to hear it come full circle. And you talked about some of the support you received, some of the mentors and um, connections you had. When you did start coaching in the league, how was, you know, being a female coach received by the staff, the football world, your players? Did you also receive that same support or was there hesitation as well? So I think that one of the biggest things that's key when you're in a position that really isn't traditional or that people aren't used to seeing somebody with the same type of packaging that you have is that if the tone can be set from the top down, there's really no question to it. And I feel like I've had that my entire career, luckily, but at every level, I've not been treated as anything but a coach. There's been no expectation put on me or any expectation lessened for me because of who I am. They see me, they introduce me to the players as a, as a coach. They treat me as an assistant coach. The players see me interacting the same way as other coaches do. So even though maybe at some point, at some part of my career, guys would have been like, you know, I was going to swear, but, you know, what the heck? 
Um, I think you're allowed to swear. You're allowed. It's okay. Because <laughs> it's, it's a podcast. Yeah, um, you're allowed. Yeah. So, but I think that it just, you know, maybe that initial like, oh, kind of goes away because I'm acting and they're hearing me speak in the same language. They're hearing me ask them to do the same things. I can relate some of my playing to them. So it's not anything where it's different. Um, and I don't make a big deal out of it either. You know what I mean? Like I've never played the woman card. I've never come face forward with, you know, you know, I'm a woman and this, that, and the other, like, I don't try and diminish who I am, but I don't try and highlight it. Cause to me, it has no bearing. You know, I have my own style, whether I'd be a woman or not. So does every other coach, everybody approaches things differently. So I don't know. I've never really had it where anybody's been taken aback or there had to be like, you know, a transition in because I'm a woman. Um, and I, I feel very grateful for that because it would, I would feel super uncomfortable if that had to occur for me to be somewhere, because then that would say to me, I didn't make the right decision to become part of this program. And, and this is tough for women. And MJ, uh, the other female coach with the Bucks and I, we were just talking about this the other day. You have to be very intentional with where you put your energy and where you affiliate as you're building your resume in your career because not everybody is for you. Some people will still look at a woman coach or a woman in an organization that's non-traditional as a media-driven event. And that is the worst thing that could possibly happen to any of us. And you know, trust me, there's a ton of media that's still swirling around, trying to figure out who we are, trying to figure out our stories and, and not for nothing. I mean, and you guys obviously, you know, know a lot of the backstory, but media has a tendency to focus so much on the end product and glamorize where we're at now, but they skip over the 13 years it took me to get here or MJ's, you know, journey. It just, it isn't as glamorous. People don't want to talk about that. So that's where it kind of sets up where people are like, oh, well, you know, how did they treat you? Well, they treated me like any other coach because the NFL is not a charity organization. They're not going to bring somebody in who's not qualified. So you know, if we kind of go forward with that, it would be up to me to either sink or swim, you know, because I'm, I'm there for the wrong reasons. And I feel like if you build your career the right way, know what you want to do, stay focused and like really become as valuable and as contributing as you can, it doesn't matter what the package is. The guys just want to win. You know, the NFL is very production-based. You win you stay in, you know what I mean? So if, if I can help do that, if MJ can help do that, if Carly can, you know, and then the diversity throughout the Buck staff, I mean, it's just, it's the people that can do the job. And clearly you guys see the results of the right people being in the right job and the chemistry we have on staff. Yeah, for sure. And I know that you talked about the support that you received and MJ and her journey. What is some um, advice you would give to a female or male who's looking to get into coaching, even if it's at the high school level, collegiate level, and then eventually at a league uh, professional level? Yeah, um, it's not for everybody. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of long hours. There's a lot of grind that you have to accept and you have to be good at and you have to really kind of thrive on because there's just there are times in the season when we don't sleep 
and we don't, you know, really get a chance to take care of yourself the way that we probably should. But the whole effort is to make sure that when we hit the field on Sunday, we're as prepared as possible and that we're winning. So every step has to be taken. You can't skip steps in this journey. You can't decide on a Thursday that you want to coach in the NFL and by Tuesday um, you're on the turf. Like it just doesn't work that way. So you have to do the work to get here. You have to know the X's and O's. You have to have your authentic style. You can't try and be somebody else when you're on the field. You, you really have to find connection points and what fits you so that you can take that and motivate the players that you're in charge of or have the assistant you know, position and, and be able to support your position coach and do everything that they need. So it's a very, very multifaceted uh, job where there are certain things that are very, very constant. And there are other things where you've got to pivot and go at the drop of a dime and you have to be ready to do it. So um, I would say, obviously, it's very rewarding to me, but I know what it took to get here. You know, I know what it's like to sleep on floors at conferences because I couldn't afford my own hotel room or sleep in my car when I drove to uh, Virginia for spring ball for a couple of hours just to be on the field with other coaches. I mean, those are the things I did because I knew how valuable it was going to be for me to gain that knowledge and be around those coaches. It's not to say that that's for everybody, but I just felt like everything I did like that, every time I sort of cut back or didn't, you know, do any extra for myself, it was going to be an investment in where I wanted to get to. And thankfully it's paid off. Yeah. Um, that's really good advice. And I love how you touched on like the not so glamorous side of it. Like, like you said, you know, that's all people see is just the, the end, the end result, result and that, yep. you know, now you have, a, you're going to have a Super Bowl ring on your finger. Like that's what everyone looks at and says, I want that, but they don't think about the journey. And I think that's such a good point that like you have to be willing to work so hard for it. Yeah. So let's pivot a little bit and talk a little bit about the Super Bowl. Um, so uh, your position group is a defensive line and they dominated during the Super Bowl and they got after Patrick Mahomes. So the D-line room has a really great dynamic with some awesome personalities. How does that yeah. dynamic and chemistry translate onto the field? You know, the, the biggest thing for us throughout any of the, uh, the rooms is always the execution, right? So chemistry really lends itself to giving you the best shot of a full and complete execution of every play. And I have to tell you, and, and you know the guys very well too, Carly. So you're right, uh, that, that room is incredible right now. Um, communication is at an all time high, the trust levels at an all time high. And the game plan that we get every week from Coach Bowles is incredible. I mean, I call him the wizard because I just feel like he just sees things that nobody else could possibly see. So we knew going in uh, the things, the adjustments that we needed to make from the first time we played them. And I think what people forget is that that first game we lost by three. Yeah. <laughs> they got out of, yeah, they got out. We, of and we, we could have, we were close to winning oh, that game. Like, yes. that, yeah, no doubt. So, but I think 
in a way it was good that we didn't at that time because we we made adjustments at halftime and I, I think what a lot of people miss is the fact that that second half was sort of a very close precursor to how we played them in the Super Bowl like we really did start to get pressure we really did start to shut them down and you know we're so like intent on you know every time I get the call you know up in the booth you know I know what I know where we're supposed to go I know what it is and we were all so locked in that I really have to tell you that it was not until the beginning of the fourth quarter that I realized that they had not yet scored a touchdown. And I was just like, okay, this is crazy. You know what I mean? Like there's a whole quarter to go. It's Patrick Mahomes. But um, I think that what's really stellar about the guys in the D-line room is that they really truly do believe that the game is on their back. Um, even though it's a unit, you know, out there, even though we have 11 guys who are so talented and so gifted, they, the D line really does hold that close to their heart that it is our game to win or lose. And I think that game top to bottom, everybody executed the game plan. And, you know, it was one of those moments where there was just nobody in the world that night that was going to beat us with the guys playing at that level. Yeah, absolutely. So this is just a fun question that I just thought of. So I know that Vita <laughs> and Sue have nicknames for each other. Oh, you, yes, they do. Do you have nicknames for any of your guys? Oh, that's a great question, Carly. Um, nah, I'm trying to, I have to think about this. Probably none that I could <laughs> share if I had them, but no. <laughs> No, um, you know, other than uh, maybe calling them out on the field if they're, you know, doing something really um, not to our liking, but yeah. you know, not not like a standing nickname uh, right. for any of them. I pretty much go with the group. And I have called uh, Vita and Sue Big Girl from time to time, but I kind of <laughs> let them, I let them kind of pass that back and forth, so... Sure, definitely. Um, so let's talk about the Super Bowl a little more in depth and your experience. So was there a specific moment where it hit you that you were going to be a Super Bowl champion? And if so, what was that moment? Yeah. Uh, you know, there were bits and pieces of that. Um, I, I think it's still at points like hitting me um, or sinking in, but I do know we were, I mean, coming down from the booth to get down to the field, right. That was exciting. And walking onto the field and, you know, the confetti's flying, you know, with the cannons, like shooting it off. And I mean, everybody's just everywhere. And I think I just said this to MJ yesterday. I think we grabbed JPP within like five seconds of each other because he was just there. You know what I mean? But I was talking to other guys and I know I hugged him because so proud of like his comeback and all the things he's been through and, you know, to come back and be such a contributor this year and, you know, we're just congratulating everybody and everything's going around. And then they were letting the family down onto the field. And I think what really struck me then is I saw my younger son and he's crying and I'm like, Oh God. And then, you know, I started like, you know, crying, but I think at that point in time, it was because it was such a release of all of the restrictions, all of the COVID stuff, all of the hard work, and I have to tell you, by the time we hit that game, we were all just spent, like we were so exhausted trying to get ready, trying to be prepared that it was just like, 
this this cap had gotten taken off the bottle and it was just like all at one time I was exhausted I was exhilarated I was crying you know what I mean like we collided um I was kidding with him afterwards because I think Kyle got this great shot of me laying on the turf and him over me and it looks like this great Super Bowl picture and it's because I felt like he broke my nose because we like collided and, and hugged and then of course I fell to the ground but um it it seems so surreal um, at that moment to just be a part of it and be down on the field. And, you know, the after party was amazing. The parade was nuts. And yes. every once in a while, I would catch like highlights. And I was like, wow, that's so cool. And I'm like, oh, wait, hold on. I was there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and then, to be honest with you, a couple of days after it, I'm thinking about this upcoming season and all the prep that. I mean, for the best reason ever, but we were behind on, you know, the draft press. Uh, yeah, and, definitely. I mean, know, the, when we came back scout. in the office, um, you know, my bosses were like, we're six weeks behind. Yeah, exactly <laughs> you know, right. Party's exactly over. Right. Yep. And you feel that urgency and it's kind of like, that was amazing. But now we have to, now we have to get ready for the season. So I'm just, it's such a blessing. I think, um, I think all of it has just been obviously, you know, uh, an experience and a memory that I'll, I'll never, ever forget. But, you know, the the next season is is on us and and we're, you know, in there grinding just like you guys are, too. And we just it's a great thing, but we got to put it to bed because we have another one to try and get to this year. For sure. Um, I love hearing about it because I was like, Harris living through Carly. <laughs> um, and I guess I would love to end with a question for you and Carly. Um, this Super Bowl had more women in on-field positions than ever before, and there was um, obviously a lot of media attention around it. You both are among those women. What does it mean to you, and what does this say about the Bucks organization as well as the future of football? So sure. you, can, um, you can start off there. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. So um, at the first forum that I ever attended, I heard Darcy speak and it was incredible to me at that point to hear her commitment to promoting women within the organization and then also their commitment to diversity in their workplace. Um, I never thought I'd get an opportunity to work for Darcy uh, and the Bucks organization, but she definitely made an impression. Uh, on me. The nicest thing about it, though, is that they put words to action. And, you know, having BA commit to bringing a, a female coach in this year, uh, or my first year, and then having it be supported not only for me, but for MJ as well. Um, it's just, it's such a nice feeling where you know that you're there for your potential to contribute and not just because you're getting a box checked for the organization. So I think that, you know, I've heard it from a lot of different people, you know, the diversity of the Buck staff, you know, other teams should do it. And I agree with that. But I do feel like you have to have the chemistry on staff. You can't just throw people together um, and say, look at what we had if it's not going to be a good fit. Um, however, I do feel like there's a lot of female candidates out there that are very viable um, at every level, um, college, high school, the pros, uh, the front office, the scouting area, coaching staff. Um, you know, it's 
it's incredible how many women are working in the league right now that people don't even know about. You know, there's so many women in our office that are on the other side of the ball and it takes everybody to get that product to the field and have it be successful. So I think with COVID, I think that slowed down a lot of the hires uh, last year because so much was virtual. I think this year, because this was the fifth year of the, we call them the classes, but this was the fifth class of the careers forum uh, with Sam. I think you're going to see a lot more women. Like I know of a couple right now that are getting year long internships. It just hasn't been announced yet. Um, and I think we're all kind of working towards the day when that label gets removed, where you don't have to always introduce me or MJ as a female coach or Carly as a female scout. It's just, she's a scout, she's a coach. And I think that that time hopefully will be coming soon because we'll be less of the unicorns in the league and we'll just be part of the workforce. Um, and I think that that's certainly something that the Bucks have promoted and have sort of been the leader on and just very grateful to be here. Yeah, I would totally agree. And I think you made a great point by talking about how it comes from the top down with the culture of the Buccaneers. Um, Darcy, if people don't know, is one of the owners of the Buccaneers, the Glazer family. Um, and it's so important to her to get women involved in football and have women in the organization. Um, and then you see what BA has done and what Jason, BA Bruce Arians, our head coach, and what Jason has done, our general manager, um, to really, you know, make a point to not only hire women, but hire the right people for the job. And I think you really touched on Coach Lowe that, you know, at some point we really hope that it's not, you know, we hired a woman or, you know, we, we hired this person and they're really good at this job. Um, I think that's right you know, going to be a great time when that happens. And I think the significance of, you know, having so many women in football roles during the Super Bowl was important because it was, you know, it's the world's biggest stage and people who may not follow football, you know, are seeing this. And I think that's important to just like get the word out that, you know, things are changing and, you know, things are happening in the industry. Yep. No, I agree. I agree with that fully. Yeah. So coach, we want to thank you so much um, for being with us. This has been awesome. And we've so enjoyed learning all about you and your journey. Um, and yeah, thank you again. This has been incredible. I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for the thank time. You. Thank you so much. Have a good one, coach. You too. Thank you. An incredible interview with Coach Lowe. She is so awesome. Yeah, not only is she too professional, but she's just the kindest person. She's so fun to talk to. I mean, just me hearing her, I think she's incredible. Carly, I can't believe you got to be around such a great mentor. I'm sure she was such an inspiration to you. Yeah, it was such an honor to be on the same staff as her. Um, and she really is an inspiration um, to you know people who want to get into coaching, um, even like women and you know being a working mom you know she talked about that it, it was just an incredible interview with an incredible person um we hope that you guys enjoyed the interview with coach Lowe as much as we did um and we're excited for you to come back next week for our next episode um that's all from us yeah thanks for joining guys i look forward to next week bye guys bye